you might remember we were studying through the book of Galatians, and uh, we got to the passage about the flesh and the spirit, and I took a few Sundays to preach about the Holy Spirit and uh, walking in the spirit, walking uh, and uh, the fruit of the spirit and so forth. And uh, so now we're back to, uh, to Galatians. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 today. Let me just say in preparation for the message, uh, Paul has taken this whole book so far. He's defended his own apostleship. And then he has talked about how that salvation is not through keeping the law. It is through faith in Christ alone and, uh, and his death for us on the cross. And then he talked about how that now the Spirit of God lives in us. And not just in us personally, but in us collectively. The Bible says in two different places that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. One place is talking about our physical body. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why I should uh, care for it and so forth. But also it talks about the collective church as being a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God dwells in us individually, but he dwells in us. And so many of the commands in the Bible really are commanded to us as a group, not just as an individual. And... Uh, so as Christians, we are to live holy lives. We're, to be, we're God's holy people. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Bible given to us, and we are part of a priesthood, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. And so, so God's desire is that we live godly, obedient holy lives and that would be true just for me individually but God knows that the best way for that to be accomplished is in community in fellowship so we need each other God has placed us together in this church for instance God has placed you and me and each of you together in this church not just to have a place to come on Sunday, not just uh, to be a worshiping fellowship, not just to be a discipling ministry, but he has placed us together so that you can help me live a godly life and so that I can help you live a godly life. So we're connected. We're connected to one another. Through the blood of Jesus and through the body of Christ, we're connected. So, Brother Ephraim, I have a responsibility to you. My responsibility to you is to help you be the godly man that God has called you to be. That makes sense, doesn't it? But it's not just my responsibility. That's John. That's your responsibility, too. We're all working together. But not only is it my responsibility to help you, it is your responsibility to help me. To be the godly man that God has called us to be and that God's called me to be. So we pray for one another. We love one another. We serve one another. We care for one another. We also admonish one another. And what are some of the other one another's? Just, there's about 40 of them in the, to love one another, what? 
support one another, encourage one another, uh, uh, serve one another. There's a whole list of them. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll print a list next week and put it out on the table because it's important for you to, to know those. And that's why we're, we're all working together to help one another. And so uh, God's plan is for us to walk in the Spirit. That's what he's been saying. He's been talking about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so God's plan is for each one of us to be growing in grace, becoming more and more like Jesus in our character. And that's, that's what the church is about. That's our responsibility to one another. That's what it means to disciple one another and to, to help one another. So that's, that's who we are. That's what we're doing. But sometimes, in the midst of all that, a Christian in the fellowship may fail in some serious way. Because it is still possible for Christians to have a major failure in their life. And so, God's plan is for us to walk in the Spirit. God has provided strength for us to do that because we're, we're, we have the Holy Spirit. So I never, ever have to sin. I never have to sin. That's just, let that soak in for a minute. Some of you look at me like, well, I thought that was our job. No, no, no. Our job is to live holy lives. And God has provided me the, the strength, the wisdom, the power, the fellowship, to never sin. You believe that? It's the truth. Now, some of you look like, well, now, wait a minute, Brother Nick. We do sin. So I, I know we do. But I can't ever blame it on anybody. I can't say the devil made me do it. No. There is greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I can't even say, well, my flesh made me do it. No, I chose to do it, but I didn't have to do it. So we don't have to sin, but we do sin, don't we? There is a continuous battle between the flesh and the spirit, and it certainly is possible for a Christian to sin. And I know you may be thinking about, well, you know, I, I had a, an angry thought toward somebody that I wasn't supposed to have. That's a sin, too. But those, those kinds of sin don't always affect the whole body in as serious a way. But what happens when a member of the body is caught in a serious uh, sin that brings reproach to their name, to the name of Christ, and also almost a, a tragic wound to the body. What, what do we do? And that's what chapter 6, verse 1, is all about. Listen to it. Chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught 
in any transgression. This word transgression is a very serious word here. It means they've crossed the line in a serious way. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself. Watch out lest you too be tempted. That's That's the verse for today. That's the text for today. So here are the implications of it. When, and by the way, we hear every day, every day of some Christian leader who falls into sin. And so what do we do? How do we deal with that? If, if one of you got caught doing some grievous transgression, what should we do? What, what, what's our responsibility? Say, well, we gossip about them, don't we? Don't we tell everybody, did you hear? No, that's not what the, this verse says. No, we don't do that. Say, well, you have nothing to do with them. You just throw them out. No, that's not what this verse says either. What does it say? It says you're to restore that person. Listen, and it says, first of all, make sure that you are walking in the Spirit. It says you who are spiritual. I tell you, a carnal group of self-righteous, judgmental hypocrites can't restore anybody. So he says, first of all, make sure that you are walking in the Spirit. You who are spiritual, and then what your goal is, is to restore. Over the years, in the churches that I've pastored, we have had people who failed in some kind of major way. And I'm grateful to say that in many of those cases, we followed this very, very carefully. And we were able to restore that brother or sister to the fellowship through repentance, prayer, and restoration. So that's, that's our goal is to restore this brother. To restore them in such a way that nobody even remembers what they did except to learn from it that that could happen to me. I know we've all heard the phrase, except for the grace of God, there go I. And that's the truth. And if you think that you could not be susceptible to being deceived and falling into sin, you're in a dangerous situation already. The Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Don't ever, ever say, well, that could never happen to me. Or I could never be in that situation. Because the truth is, all of us have that battle between the flesh and the spirit at all times. And we never, ever have to give in to the flesh. We have power. We have God's power 
to resist and to walk in obedience. But sometimes a brother or sister in the church may fall into sin or he may leap into sin. He may not fall into it. He may walk right into it. And what is our responsibility? Well, he says, those who are spiritual, restore him, and you do it in the proper way with a proper spirit. It says, in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, our goal is not punishment. It is restoration. Our goal is not to shame, humiliate, and to whip a sinner. It is to love and gently restore that person back into fellowship. And uh, when that is not practiced, two things happen, serious things. Number one, the sinning brother becomes... Uh, um, a uh, not a lost cause that's too strong a word but, but many times they are lost to the fellowship of the body of Christ but also the body of Christ is wounded no single member of this church could be lost to sin without it affecting the whole body. It'd be just like if I cut off one of my fingers, I'd still survive, but I wouldn't be completely whole. And there would be a sense of loss. And uh, so that's the reason it's so important for us to work hard. First of all, walk in the Spirit. Trust God moment by moment to live a life of obedience. But when we sin, when, when I sin, it, and I certainly do not believe I'm above the possibility of falling into sin. But if I were to fall into some grievous sin, your responsibility would be to seek to restore me. I think you'd need to remove me from the responsibility of being your pastor, but you would need to restore me to fellowship with the body and with the Lord. And there are proper steps to take. And then he says, watch out, lest you also be tempted. How would you be tempted? If you're trying to restore uh, a Christian, if you're trying to restore a member of the body that has fallen into some grievous sin, how is it you could be tempted? There are a number of ways. One, you could be tempted maybe with their same kind of sin. You might be tempted to commit that same sin if, they, if you begin to deal with them. But more than likely, you'd be tempted with a prideful, arrogant spirit and a spirit of judgment rather than a spirit of love. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 7, verse 1, the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit. Which are worse? Well, they're both horrible. 
But in our culture, even our Christian culture, we see the sins of the flesh as being terrible, but we tolerate the sins of the Spirit. A prideful, arrogant spirit. The Pharisees committed the sins of the Spirit. And the prostitutes that Jesus ministered to were committing the sins of the flesh. As far as we know, the ones who were the most likely to be restored and forgiven were those who committed the sins of the flesh. And those who committed the sins of the Spirit many times were never, they never even admitted that they were sinning. So what do you do? How do you, how do you go about, if, if I were to sin, some grievous sin, how would you go about dealing with that? Well, the Bible makes it clear in Matthew 18 that you start off first with a one-on-one kind of thing. So one of you who became aware of that sin would come to me personally. And you would say, Brother Nick, I love you. And I always want to be able to give a good report about you. But it's come to my attention that you are doing this particular thing. Is that true? And what would I do? I could do one of two things at that point. I could say, yes, I, I am guilty. And he could say, I'm saying Brother Terry comes to me and he says, uh, then you need to repent, brother. And suppose I said, you're right, thank you so much. That's a struggle I've been having and I've been losing and I do repent. And he would embrace me and say, thank you, I've gained my brother back. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. I might say, well, I might even deny it. Well, no, I'm not doing that. Well, the report I've gotten and what I've seen, even with my own eyes, I believe you are. So then he would go away and he'd come back with somebody else, two or three other people. And they would say, Pastor, we love you, but we know that you are in sin. And we're calling on you to repent of that sin so that the fellowship can be restored and then suppose I still said no then there would need to be a gathering of spiritual people who would have what has come to be called in our day an intervention that is let me just say uh, many interventions are little more than just venting sessions in which uh, people express shame and disappointment and anger and punishment for the guilty person. That's not a biblical intervention. I've written down here seven things that are necessary for a true biblical intervention. They all start with the letter A, so it'll be easy to remember. If you want to jot them down, it'll be easier to remember because... Hopefully, you'll never need to be part of an intervention. But if you are part of an intervention, 
Here are the seven things that are necessary. I call this a straight A intervention. First of all, there needs to be agreement. Let's say there are going to be eight or ten people involved in this intervention. Just just this last week, we were told about a, a person who's been caught in a very grievous sin, and the family is considering having an intervention. And when I heard that, I sent them this list. And I said, first of all, before the intervention ever starts, all the participants must be in complete agreement as to their motive and their method. They all have to say, here's why we're doing it, and here's how we're doing it. There should be a time of personal, prayerful honesty, recognizing that all have sinned and are capable of sinning. So if eight or nine of you, maybe the deacon body here and some of the other members said, Pastor, we're going to have an intervention for you. And they would probably include some of my family. And they would be in total agreement before it ever started. What are we hoping to accomplish? Is our own heart right? Are we mad? Or are we grieved? Are we trying to punish? Or are we trying to restore? And the intervention should never begin until all are in agreement concerning their purpose, and their method. The goal should be repentance, forgiveness, restoration, and encouragement for change. So that's the first A. Second, affirmation. Affirmation. The reason for the intervention is because you genuinely love the offender. That's the, that's the whole purpose of it. So the first step is for each person in the intervention to affirm the value of the guilty person. His worth as a person, his gifting as a believer, his accomplishments in the kingdom, his personal strengths, and his value to the church and family and friends should be expressed so again if you were having that intervention for me after you had agreed to its purpose and method you would each one go around and say a word of affirmation pastor we love you and we see value in you we believe that God has gifted you and you're a vital part of this body. So there need to be affirmation. Number three, there would need to be acknowledgement. The specific sin or pattern of behavior should be clearly stated. And the cost and the consequences of this behavior should be given. You say, Brother Nick, do you realize what this is costing you? What this is costing the body of Christ and the pain that is 
being experienced would need to be expressed. But this must be done with grief and not with vindictiveness. And then the fourth A is aspiration. That's a, there was a better word, but it didn't start with an A. So got to keep them all with an A. Aspiration means to, to express hope for the future should be given. A goal should be stated. A vision for restoration and usefulness should be clearly defined. The offender needs to have a future to aspire to. God's not finished with you, Pastor. God's not through with you. He still has much use for your future. And then there needs to be action. That's the fifth. I think that is that the fifth one? The fifth A is action. A plan of action should have already been defined. If the person is an addict, a rehabilitation center should have already been contacted. A place reserved in a suitcase packed, allowing the person to leave the intervention and enter immediately into a process for help. In the event of a moral failure, a restoration team should already be in place and a counselor should be ready and the process of restoration begins immediately. See, what I'm saying, there needs to be a plan of action. What are we going to do? And then the sixth A is assurance. I would need to sense the encouragement of each person present that you're for me, not against me. I would need to be assured that this group will be supportive, forgiving, and hopeful for my future. Does that make sense? And then the last one is affection. Affection. The intervention should end with expressions of affection. I would hope that after these six things have been done, each person would either shake my hand or give me a hug and words of encouragement will be expressed. And then in the days following that intervention, each person that has been involved would have a responsibility to faithfully and fervently pray for me and regularly communicate with me on a daily basis for accountability and encouragement and assure me of support and hope. It's a serious thing, isn't it? But do you know that sin is a serious thing? Restoration is a serious thing. God's grace is a serious thing. The body of Christ is a serious thing. And so, if any member of this church were to be caught in sin, this would be our responsibility. And that's what that verse said. I mean, just clearly. If any brothers, he said brothers, he's talking to believers here, brothers. If any one of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that is, you're walking in obedience, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, watching out 
lest you also be tempted in some area of sin. And see, here's the serious thing. Do you know all of us are weak? Every one of us are frail and weak. And apart from the strength of the Holy Spirit functioning in my life, I could fall into sins of the flesh or sins of the Spirit. I could get off track doctrinally, begin to teach something that wasn't true, and that also would need to be corrected. Or I could be caught in some transgression. So could you. I know some of you are thinking, well, why is he preaching this? Is he about to get caught in some transgression? (laughs) Well, by the grace of God, I certainly hope not. But I am saying that if anybody in this body were to fall into sin, that's when love should increase more and more. Not anger. If we're going to be, if we're going to have anger, let's be angry at sin, but not at the sinner. And let's reach out with agreement, affirmation, acknowledgement of the sin, aspiration, giving him hope for the future, action plan, assurance, and affection. And the truth is, to a smaller degree, we need that every day in the body of Christ. In the small groups that we're associated with, that we know each other a little better, we should be able to say, pray for me. I'm struggling in this area. I'm really having a hard time. Somebody at work has just hurt me so badly, and I know I'm supposed to forgive them, but I don't want to forgive them. I want to punch their lights out. And please, I need some help here. I need need you to pray for me so that I can do what God's called me to do. Or somebody might say, you know, man, I... I keep getting these pop-ups on my computer. And man, I'm just one click away from going into stuff that I know the Spirit of God is saying, don't do it, don't do it. It's destructive. But I'm struggling with it. And I want to have a pure mind, a clean mind. And I need you to pray for me. And then you pray for one another. And uh, why is this so important? And here's one reason. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they'll see God. They'll be the ones. That that just doesn't mean they'll just die and go to heaven and see God. It means that they will experience God in in their life. But also the church. The body of Christ, if there is sin, unrepented of, blatant sin in the body that's not dealt with, the whole church becomes weak. It's just like if you get a virus in your body physically, 
It affects the whole body. And that's why this passage is so, so important. So we, we make this commitment to one another. I say to, to each of you, I, I love you so much. I want you to walk in holiness, godliness, obedience to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to. I want to do it by the preaching of the word, the sharing of the scripture. We want to do it through the worship together. We want to do it through our Bible study. But I pledge to you that if I were to see or hear that you had fallen into sin, I will not abandon you. I will not reject you I will rush to you to try to restore you to godliness and fellowship and that's what I would want you to do for me and I'd just like to ask you to make that commitment today to this whole body to Christ to this whole body Lord Jesus I love this body. I love these people. And I'm committing myself today, first of all, to by the grace of God to walk in the Spirit and live a life of godliness. But also to make myself accountable to and to be accountable for the other members of this body. You see what that means? That means that you have the responsibility to help me walk in godliness because that's what I want and that's what you want and I have the responsibility to help you walk in godliness all right well let's pray heavenly father I just feel the seriousness of this even in this service today I feel I uh spirit of uh, seriousness over the congregation today because this is serious and I know that a pure church is a powerful church a church that is walking in obedience and love for one another being accountable to and accountable for one another is a church that cannot be defeated the gates of hell cannot stand against that kind of church. And I pray for that here. I pray for every member of our of our church here at Bear Creek. Father, I just lift them up to you and pledge to you today to love them, to encourage them, to pray for them, to help them. And if one is caught in a transgression, I pledge today that I will rush to them and not run from them. And I pray that all of us can do that. With our heads still bowed, just just for a moment, nobody looking around, if you'd say today, Pastor, I want to make that personal commitment and pledge today to be accountable to and accountable for the other members of this church, to love them, pray for them to help them and if one were to sin
to help restore them. I want to make that commitment and say, would you just hold your hand up if that's true? Just hold your hand. Amen. 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 And Father, I ask you to help us follow through on that. In Jesus' name. you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.